Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Skybet League One podcast here on Look Sports Media. My name is Sam, and this week I am joined by Seb. Hello, Seb. Hi, Sam. You good? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Good too, thank you. No game to talk about in terms of the band's point of view, but other than that, yeah, very good, thank you. Good, and we are also joined by Ollie. Ollie, how are you? Evening, mate. Not bad, thanks yourself. Good, yeah. All good, thank you. So, uh, we're going to start off with a little bit of a question, uh, first of all. Um, so, what? first of all, what made you support the club you support? So, Seb, we'll start with you. Why did you start supporting Barnsley? Uh, well, firstly, I guess because someone had to, you know. Um, and then secondly, uh, it's the club that my dad supported. So it's the town that my uh, dad's family uh, grew up in. So it's sort of been a, uh, as far as I know, a bit, been a bit of a sort of a, a long-held uh, tradition of, of, of forming Barnsley Football Club. Uh, I actually got into it quite late, um, but my dad had been going with my older brother for a while. Um, and then and then I joined them when I was about eight or nine. Um, but yeah, it, it's because it's it's a town I live in. It's a town that my, my dad supported. Uh, and so yeah, the, the family's tradition sort of continued. Cool. Yeah, it's a nice family tradition. That's what we like to see. Uh, not supporting the old big clubs as a lot of fans now do. Ditch their family club and support a big club. And Ollie, why did you start, start supporting Stevenage? Uh, well, I am sadly from Stevenage. <laughs> but... Um, no, I mean, I, I want to say it was 98. Um, my, me and my dad went down for a random game of the year um, after uh, we'd played Newcastle in the Cup. Uh, there was all, a lot of media pressure on that. Um, and we went to, I think, I want to say it was Gateshead at home um, and tramps them five or six nil. Um, and then for whatever reason, the following year didn't go back until we played Gates, Gateshead at home again. And again, battered them four or five nil. So <laughs> gave us a bit of a, a, a strange idea of what, what going to see these games was actually like. Um, ended up going into it and, yeah, used to end up going home and away for all sorts of places in the conference. And then just kind of follow things through as we are now in much, much nicer territories. Yeah, nice bigger grounds to go to than teams like Gateshead nowadays as well, especially in our league. Yeah, get to go to the get to go to your Barnsleys, and and you're uh, oh, looking forward to looking forward to Wigan at the weekend and a trip to Derby. Still has to go, still has to go to places like Orient though. So yeah, bit bit of a shithole, isn't it? Some, at least some somebody's got to come there and not moan about our pillars that block the East End. Not the pillars, just the wooden seats. Oh, I still don't know how we get away with that. I I, I seriously do not know how we still get away with that, but. Um, there's talk, obviously, investment, but that's for that's for another time. Um, it's a bit the same uh, story for me with Orient as it is with Seb. It's a family tradition. Um, my dad was a West Ham fan. My uncle was an Orient fan. Um, West Ham proved to be too expensive. So my actually first game was an Orient game in 2005, I think it was. Um, I think we played Kidderminster Harriers at home and we lost, I think it was 3-2. 
Um, and then I went the following week and we played, I think it was Russian and Diamonds, and we won 3-2. So that was a, a pretty eventful first two games, shall we say. Um, so, yeah, so let's get on with this week's games. Uh, first of all, we're going to start with Peterborough versus uh, Shrewsbury. And Ollie, uh, you uh, watched the highlights of this game. What, what did you take from that game? Yeah, interesting game. This It's the battle between the division's highest scorers and the division's lowest scorers. And so it looked like a posh win would be the only outcome. But Shrews sort of threatened to upset that that sort of apple cart when Jordan Shipley drilled in from range after Peterborough failed to clear the second ball from a corner. Um, that lead lasted all the way until the 51st minute when Joel Randall converted from close range after a nice passing move. 15 minutes later, Posh were ahead. Josh Knight headed home pretty simply um, from a corner. And from there on, in, it was pretty comfortable for them. Um, Shrew's troubles in front of goal were apparent again. They only created 0.52 XG. Um, I guess that's to be expected when you give up 74% possession of the ball. Um, the result, I guess, was, well, the final now in the coffin for the division's other Matt Taylor uh, in, well... <laughs> In truth, a lot of the damage there was probably done in the previous games. I mean, a run of seven defeats in their last eight. They've slipped to 19th. They're only seven points above the drop zone. Um, they've also played two more games than Reading and three more than Cheltenham. So they are getting dragged into it. Um, and well, I, I know we said before Christmas we felt they were in a bit of a false position. I mean, did you think they'd sink as quickly as they have? I did, yeah. When you've scored however many, I think it's 18 goals I think they've scored and they don't keep clean sheets either. Um, and, and obviously, if you, you're scraping games, winning 1-0 and 2-1, and you, you, if you can have a, if you have a solid defence and you're picking up points at a 0-0, you can build from the back. And Shrewsbury can't do that because they can't keep clean sheets, and they can't score goals, and they don't create chances. Shrewsbury, yeah. sorry, Shrewsbury have also got the second uh, joint highest defeats in, in, in the league. They've got 16 defeats from 28 players. So... It's not great in terms of sort of uh, win lose draw. They've they've only won nine and, and drawn three, but but lost sixteen, which is more more than half of, of games played this season. It's a weird, it's a weird sort of thing there, management job, isn't it? Because the general consensus just seems to be that Paul Hurst walks back in there. But I like, I don't really get that. If I'm honest, I mean, I know he stayed in for relegation in 2017, and like clearly the backing of the fans there, you know, he's got that, but. Since he's left, his CV is not exactly great, is it? Like, I mean, what was it? Fifteen games at Ipswich, sacked at Scunthorpe, went back to Grimsby, and yeah, okay, he got him promoted pretty spectacularly. But again, sacked there with them twenty-first this season. Like, is that someone that screamed League One manager to you? It'd be the uh, cheap option as well, wouldn't he? I suppose. So if they did, for whatever reason, get relegated, um, they've probably got. He's probably a League Two ready manager, I would suppose. Um, and he'd probably have the backing of the fans because of what he did previously. Um, but he had played people like John Nolan before, who were obviously way too good for League One. He went to the championship, bought them all, and kind of, and Shrewsbury kind of just fell apart. Um, but like you said, he's not really uh, blown anyone away with his performances as manager. Yeah, like, I, I, I get it. Like, you know, like the sometimes clubs. You know, sometimes managers are just a good fit for a club, aren't they? But, mm. you know, I do think that fans at points have just a bit of a penchant for nostalgia and just want the same kind of guys in, don't they? And, like, you know, having looked at your clubs like, I guess, I, I would liken Shrewsbury inside to, a, I guess, a Lincoln, um, who, you know, should be sort of mid table ish League One. Um, 
you know, Lincoln have gone out there and done something different and gone and got someone to try and build a bit, bit of an identity. I just don't, I don't know. I, I don't see someone that's been sacked a few times in League Two being the Messiah there. I mean, say I'm happy to hold my hands up and say I'm wrong when he keeps them up and they finish top half. <laughs> who, who would you see going in then, Ollie? Because what, what they needed someone, is someone to come in and, and get the results fast in order to stop them sort of dropping well into that relegation battle. So who would, who would, who would off the top of your head, who, who would you say to come in? Uh, I guess it's difficult, isn't it? Because I guess what, you know, what I'm asking for there is, is I'm asking for them to kind of go outside the box and pick up somebody who is under the radar. And I don't think any of us would have had, you know, the guys who went in at Lincoln and Buckingham and Oxford as, as big favourites when those jobs came about. But equally, I kind of understand what you're saying. The, the need there for instant improvement and not to get dragged in is also very difficult. Um, it's, I always find it quite strange that at the top level of management, there's kind of managers that are renowned for keeping teams up. But that's just not really a thing in like, as you go, like, you know, there's not relegation specialists in League One, is there? Like, there's, no. like, um, like it, it feels like there should be. Like, there, there should be someone who can come in and, and do, even if it's a, a six-month job of of just keeping a team in the league. But I, I, I genuinely, I, I, you know, having said, I don't think Paul Hurt is hugely inspiring. I, I'm not sat here with a lot of options to give you. No, no, no. I, I, I wasn't sort of expecting me because that, what you say is true in that there's not many sort of... Uh, Experienced legal managers around that are out of a job that can, can come in straight away and, and, and get points on board, which is what Shrewsbury need. But I, I take your point as well in that there's also it's not really the time for them to get this progressing manager because they they are at risk of, of falling into a relegation battle. So it's, for them, I think it'll be sort of do they prepare for League Two next season? But then also they're well they're well, they're well entitled for a spot in League One. You know, at the minute that they're, they're only seven points off. The, the bottom three but there is that risk if if the other teams start picking up points and they just carry on the bad run of form then they are going to just pull right into it so it's sort of that balancing act that, that they need to find perhaps a longer term project but ultimately the short term goal is to get points on board and, and to not be relegated I do I do think you know if they're looking at building you know when when, Shel- when Cheltenham you know but brought in Daryl Clark, that was very much like, okay, well, you can see that as building for League Two, couldn't we? I think if you're sat at Shrewsbury now and you're building for League Two in the situation you're in, you've got a question that, you know, that how, just how much, you know, to the board want to be there, really. I mean, like, mm-hmm. like you can't, seven points above it and with the teams that are below them um, and, you know, you, you're looking at Fleetwood, look absolute goners, Reading could be God knows how many other issues are going to come up there with points and You're probably looking at two two spaces wrapped up. That you know, if if, if they can't survive even with you know with with a, with a temporary manager in, I'd, I'd, I'd be yeah, I'd be surprised. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a weird one for Shrewsbury, isn't it? Because when you're, I always find when you're a club like Shrewsbury, you're not ever really going to be in the top six, and I would expect you to be around mid table. So for a club like that, I would ex- like to have a cup run and have my team have some sort of identity. And I don't think, because I think Matt, I thought Matt Taylor was personally bought in to change the style of play at Shrewsbury, and that's why they've got rid of Steve Cottrell. And to me, that hasn't happened. I, I think I've got one of the lowest possession stats in League One. And if you're changing from a, a side that was predominantly a counter-attacking team to become a long ball team, that's not really progression or giving a team an identity. Um, but... It is a weird one because do you want someone who is young and gives you that identity and comes in with like a, a philosophy like 
oh, a name off the top of my head, like an Ian Birchall, who was at Knox County and obviously failed at Forest Green. Um, or do you go somewhere like tried and tested? But like we've mentioned, there's not actually that many tried and tested managers around. Like I can't see Big Sam going in at Shrewsbury, for example. There's <laughs> no chance. And it, to be honest, he's relegated his last two teams. So Shrewsbury probably won't want him. I mean, um, looking at, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I've just got the odds up for it, just having a little look. So Paul Hurst is currently four to one on. To, you know, it, it's an easy option, isn't it? Mm. Second favourite is Michael Duff. What, where, why would Michael Duff go there? Like, no chance. There's no I... chance that is there. I mean, other other names that are in there. Nigel Pearson. No chance. No, no. Lee, Lee Johnson's fifteenth job of the year. Like <laughs> goes there, gets a six month job, gets sacked at yeah. the end of it. That's who. Out of the, out of all all the names said that would be the most realistic, but even yeah. that I can't I can't see it that happening. Two names that are actually interesting that are longer odds that I could actually potentially see uh, as being kind of project managers, but equally could keep a team in the division. Um, Bonner's still available, isn't he, from Cambridge? Mm. Oh yeah, and obviously yeah, get yeah. them in the league. Um, and equally, I know he's just just gone from Swindon, and I've just lambasted Hurst being sacked in League Two, but someone like Michael, Michael Flynn. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Again, have had an alright record with similar size kind of clubs. Yeah, that's a that's a fair one. Yeah, he did an excellent it's job not... in Newport County on a limited budget and had a yeah. cut run a couple of times. So yeah, that's not that's not a bad show at all. Not not managing League One yet though, has he? Just been League Two so far. Just yeah, League lost, Two, yeah. Lost in playoffs about six times, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most, most unfortunate manager in football, I think he is. Um, so, yeah, we'll move on to the next game. And another manager that is probably feeling a bit under pressure is the Charlton manager after their 2-0 defeat away at Burton Albion. Uh, Seb, how did uh, this game hold out? Yeah, well, I think you sort of alluded to it a little bit. It, it's sort of been the tale of two managers. Uh, Martin Patterson, uh, it was his first game as Burton Albion boss. Uh, he was uh, assistant to, to Michael Duff uh, up to his sack, sacking at Swansea. So, he would... Uh, beat Charlton two goals to nil in his first game in charge of Burton Albion. But it's sort of uh, the opposite story for his uh, his counterpart, Appleton, at Charlton. Another defeat for the Addicts, and it moves them to uh, 16th, I beg your pardon, in, in the league. Uh, and they've not won since the, uh, the end of November. Uh, so, sort of, I think fans are des- desperately questioning uh, his, his position at the club, um, and rightly so because they're just on, on a torrid run, run of form in the league at the moment. Uh, I guess you could say that the recent signings that, that they've made in, in this January window we spoke last week about uh, Coventry and Gillespie that they've since signed uh, Edmund Greens from Huddersfield and Ladapo on loan from Ipswich. All of which, you know, have have quality. And just signed, just signed a third choice keeper as well um, from Swindon. Off the top of head. So that's it. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's sort of almost contradictory the fact that results are not going well, but they're bringing in all these players who, who are good quality players, but they're just not progressing it in that league rankings at all. It's a weird one, isn't it? Like because. I mean, looking at their sort of league position and their form, they the board must accept this season as a write-off, right? Mm. So the money they're throwing at that is surely back in Appleton. It's surely saying, you know, he's the guy that they want to, to to take them forward. But how long do you let this run go before like he comes under major pressure? I mean, it's no win since November. Five losses in their last six. They've today sold arguably their best player this season in Corey Blackett-Taylor. I mean, he he's responsible for 14 goal contributions in this season. 
That's over a third of the goals they've scored this season in the league. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're in a bit of a mess. Um, and, you know, it's not like if, if it's, a, it's a bit of a catch range two situation, isn't it? Because they've obviously thrown money at it to try and, you know, improve as well. And undoubtedly, the players, like you just mentioned there, they do exactly that, don't they? They're proven League One players and they're probably promotion winning players, really. Um, and adding that to, you know, your Alfie Mays, et cetera, George Dobson's players like that, you know, really, they've got a good squad there. But if, if you throw that money at it and then, you know, four to six weeks down the line, the results aren't any better, you've then invested a lot of money in players for a manager that probably isn't isn't there anymore. Yeah, I'm just looking at the, the stats. So Appleton's managed 27 games in all competitions for Charlton. He's won eight, drawn 11 and lost eight and has a win percentage of 29.6%, which is worse than Dean Holden. When he got sacked, he had a 32% win percentage with uh, 12 win, uh, 12 a 37.5 win percentage with 12 wins, five draws and 15 losses. Um, I think with Charlton, I think they've had five permanent managers in less than three years as well. I know they've been under different owners. So they're probably after that bit of stability and a bit more, well, we're going to trust one man to do our job because they had Nigel Adkins for seven months, Johnny Jackson for five months, not including his interim period, which went on forever. Uh, they had Ben Garner, who lasted five months. Then they had Dean Holden, who lasted eight months. And now Appleton's only been there since September. But a big club like Charlton, like we've alluded to, they can't be fighting over 16th place. They, they've got to be fighting top six every single year. And there is that pressure when, when you take that sort of job. If you don't come in and perform results immediately, the fans will get on your back. And scoring 40 goals in 27 games, you should be near at least in the top eight or nine teams. You've got one of the best goal scorers in League One in Alfie May. Um, who can create something out of nothing. Um, losing Blackett Taylor is obviously going to be huge for them. Because um, that Ladapo is a striker that feeds off chances being created and won't create them for himself. So that adds more pressure onto Alfie May to now provide for his teammates and score goals. Um, and obviously they have invested a lot of money on people like Connor Coventry, who are undoubtedly League One players. But as we know, um, myself and Ollie probably know best with clubs that don't actually ever spend money. Money doesn't ever really bring you success. It doesn't always. Doesn't, doesn't the, one, really do the one thing that I've been pleased to see this window for them is that they've looked to shore up, which is a pretty shocking defence. Mm. I think it's the f- fourth worst record in the league they've yeah. got. Um, yeah, bringing in Gillespie, I say, who's obviously got promotion with Plymouth. Um, and then obviously bringing Edmund Green as well, who's he's, he's played 14 times in the championship this season. Like they've obviously looked at that and seen that's that's an issue. Um, I I flip between what my thoughts are on Appleton. Like I felt like early on in his career, he was someone who the minute a better job comes around the corner, he was jumping at it, and it, it, he's not he's not someone that I'd be happy with my club investing mul- you know multiple millions of pounds in a squad for because. He's, he's someone if he's, if he's, if he's doing well in six months, then the next big job that comes around, I'm just not not sure he's a hugely loyal guy. Um, I mean, I know he's had some good spells at you know at Lincoln and, and I think good spell at Oxford as well, but yeah, not not someone that I want my club spending that money with. Sam, can I, sorry, yeah, can I just pick pick on something you said in terms <laughs> of Charlton wanting that stability? You've just sort of rifled through through the various managers I've had. Um, do you think that's why the board, because the fans were, they were quite vocal at, at Burton at the weekend, in that the, the, they want Appleton to go? Do you think mm. that's why the board is sticking with him? 
because they want him to be the stability, or do you think uh, they just want what? Well, they they're giving him the benefit of the doubt with, with the new transfers and just giving him an extra couple of weeks, or is it because they want that consistent and they want him to be the long term project? I, it's a very good question. I I think they want someone to be a long term project because. I don't think you can constantly go through managers expecting the same results with the same types of players. Um, I think Charlton have been this year. I think this is their third season in this league and they've obviously gone through all their managers and you can't keep changing manager and changing philosophy every three to four months because players get confused. Managers bring in their own players for different identities and style of play. So I think backing Appleton, yeah, fair, fair play to the board because they could have easily said to him, hmm, your results haven't proven to us that we can back you enough in January. So we're not going to give you anything and you just work with what you've got. And if you lose your better players, so be it. They have have invested. And if it doesn't pay off, then they've got a group of players who, well, they've signed through, I think it's four or five players who probably don't fit. They may not fit the new manager style of play. So I think they're going to want him to work. But losing the fans after 20 odd games in charge is going to be a, big ask to get them to come back onto your side especially when if you listen to Appleton talk in his post-match I listened to his post-match uh, conference after the Burton game he just doesn't inspire you as a manager he just talks shit to be honest um, and I think the Charlton fans see through the crap as well when you listen to him it's like oh yeah we, we did all right we did this we did that it's like it's not motivational it's not this is how I'm going to fix the problem and we will work hard and stuff like that it's just yeah, it's just not motivational at all. The thing with Charlton that's got to be an issue, right, is that, you know, it, it's it's absolutely not a long time ago. They were a pretty stable Premier League club. Mm. And so I should imagine that probably 70, 80% of their fan base remember them being that stable Premier League club. And so the demands there are going to be so high, aren't they? I mean, like, regardless yeah. of what their squad looks like and regardless of what the situation is at the club, the, the expectation of the fans there is that they are a big fish in League One and therefore should be in top six at the very least so i i, I can empathize with the with the, the problems but equally you know you know what you sign up for when you go and take, take that job right yeah 100 percent. i think the the big the big club entitlement i use that word in in, in inverted commas uh, leads me quite nicely on to the next game which i was going to talk about is bolton versus my team um well, that, was, a lot uh, of sorry. that was yeah. that was a really nice transition there so yeah thank you i <laughs> do try yeah um but we had so we we played obviously Bolton and we we won one nil and before the game Bolton Bolton fans are like we should be beating cl- clubs like Leighton Orient and I'm sure Ollie has the same sort of feeling when teams come to Stevenage it's teams like Stevenage um, and we did win one nil and on in the second half we deserved to win Bolton had the two best chances of the game through Dion Charles who missed an open goal with a header which came to I think the shock of nine thousand people in Brisbane Road. And he missed a one-on-one as well, literally clean through and just hit it straight at the goalkeeper, which um, was was quite fortunate for us. But Dan Agi uh, coming into the team um, has made such a difference. A, a powerful centre forward who can hold the ball up, is quick, can finish. Um, we've slightly tweaked our tactical play since uh, the 3-2 defeat to Bolton we had when we were at their place. Um, we're, we're a bit more on the front foot, in your face, um, and what I've noticed, we press with like a, we build up now with like a, either a four-two-four or a three-two-five with our right back coming into the centre midfield. And we're especially when you play a back three, we're just overloading their centre half. So when the centre halves get the ball, they've got nowhere to play out. 
And if they do break the press, we've got the defence and the, mid, uh, the defenders and midfield to counteract that. And after the game, um, there was a lot of Bolton fans on Twitter going, oh, we can't be losing to clubs like Leighton Orient. We can't be. And then I saw one geezer asking for Ever to be sacked. And from what I looked at it, they've got the best points per game in the league, the same as Peterborough, with 2.05, I think it is, with Portsmouth being third. And it's like, I just can't understand how... Um, what is the word I'm looking for? I can't remember the word I'm looking for. It's reactionary fan bases. I don't know if he was joking. He probably was. But how reactionary fan bases become after one poor result. Um, it's funny It's funny you say that, Sal, actually. So when that, when we went to their place, they beat us 3-2. Um, probably a little bit unjustly. Um, we probably deserved mm-hmm. a bit of something out of the game. And they were super complimentary about us because they'd beaten us. And you just know if we'd nicked that or if we'd got the 2-2, we'd have had the same comments. And it's, it's funny yeah. that as football fans, how often that changes your perception, just just a result. Yeah, it's like football and they all go, oh, on paper, we should be beating this. But yes, if football was played on paper, you lot would be in the Premier League and we'd probably be in League Two. So yeah, <laughs> stick that up your ass. I tell them. That's what I say to them. <laughs> um, so we'll move on from the Orient Bolton game, which the, that leaves uh, Bolton in fourth place. And what I will say is Orient are now on a club record five clean sheets in the league in a row. Um, they've got Reading this weekend. And if they get the sick, they will break a record that has sat since 1971 in, in the league. So Solbring with 530 minutes without conceding uh, a goal. Um, Leighton Orient sitting at ninth as well. I mean, yeah. just, just before, before we sort of finish on, on Leighton Orient, do you think at any point at the start of the season, do you think in... In the middle of January, you'd, you'd be sitting uh, ninth with League One with with team like ab- above teams, uh, well, such as Charlton, Wigan, Reading. Do you think um, that'd be possible? I always had in the back of my mind faith that when everyone came back to fitness, we would be eleventh or twelfth. I didn't expect. I know the table's really tight and everyone's played more games than everyone, but our aim at the start of the season was to finish in the second eight, so to speak. You had the top eight budgets, and it's only really Stevenage who have broken into that top eight budget, probably replacing Charlton. So from what I heard, our aim was to finish 8th to 16th. Obviously, Wellens wanted to be the top of that. And the transition we've had in the last sort of month, the young players have grown into a role and they're starting to show that maturity. Um, we've got three players who have been offered new contracts. Um, Wellens did an interview with an Orient podcast and three of our key players have been offered contracts, which is great. Um, we have, he did mention, we're close to signing a winger as well, which would be brilliant. Um, and we are in the process of looking like we're going to sell one of our players to another League One club. But he didn't mention who, which is slightly annoying. But somebody in our squad looks like they're going to be going to a League One club. And I suspect, I haven't heard anything I, in my head, I'm going to go with someone like a George Moncur, who's not really played, but can technically play at this level, I think, in a different sort of style. So... Um, into the next game, uh, we're going to be covering Bristol Rovers versus Blackpool. So, Ollie, uh, what do you think make of Blackpool versus Bristol Rovers? It's a big win for Blackpool, this. Um, they've now won three in a row in a league for the first time this season. Um, but this was probably amongst those victories, the first one that would have raised my eyebrows um, with them looking, well, with, with Bristol Rovers having looked pretty strong under Matt Taylor. Um, five minutes in, CJ Hamilton with a really, really nice finish uh, into the far corner from Carl Joseph's pullback. Um, 20th minute, Carl Joseph pulled it back again and Karamoko Dembele this time fired high into the net. So, 2-0 up after 20 minutes, which is obviously a very good start. 
Um, Chris Martin got a goal back for the hosts, which if I don't know if you've seen it, but if he's meant it, it's absolutely outrageous. It's just in an instinctive flick of the boot um, that has then lobbed it over the keeper, Cox, and, and found the far corner. Um, <clears throat> Bristol Rovers saw plenty of the ball in the second half, but didn't actually muster a single shot of goal in the second half, which is, you know, probably says a lot about Blackpool's um, sturdiest at the back. Um, they're now, well, Bristol Rovers 15 points off the playoffs. So I think fans seem pretty resigned to a mid-table finish after that. But for Blackpool, um, they're now four points off sixth place Oxford, although they have played two more games than them. Um, they've got a key part of the season coming up. I think they play four of the seven sides above them in their next six games. So I think, you know, within the next six games, we'll be very clear whether, whether Blackpool are part of that chasing pack or whether they get cut adrift or not. Um, yeah, just just a, re- a really good result. I mean, I think this, this game always was going to have goals in it. Um, two sides in decent form. But yeah, no, um, Blackpool kind of playing what they're about and a, a really nice away win for them. Um, Seb, I've got a question for you on, on Blackpool. With their current away form, obviously they've played a couple of games more than uh, Stevenage, Oxford and the teams in the playoffs. Do you think Blackpool have a chance of getting into the playoffs or do you think they're just going to just gonna fall short this end of this season? Uh, potentially. Uh, I think the four in the playoff spots at the moment are all... They'll, they'll be in, the, in their... They're, they're thereabouts at the end of the season. I can't see anyone really replacing them. So the current four are Dan, Bolton, Barnsley and Oxford. If there was one to drop out, for me, it would be Oxford. I just think they've not sort of got that um, consistency in results. They've not got the ex- playoff, League One playoff experience, you know. Um, Blackpool, I could see them. I could see them just sneaking in into the, the final playoff spots. Um, you know, Jordan Rhodes has been on great form uh, so far this season. It's, it's great to, to have his uh, loan extended to the end of the season. Um, Ollie mentioned uh, Karimoko Dembele as well, uh, in, impressing for for Blackpool. So I think uh, if, if they hit a good bit of form, they're only four points off it at, at the moment. You know, he, he only needs uh, a, a side in the top six to drop off and, and Blackpool to win, to, to then just close close the gap. So, yeah, I, I would I would back Blackpool to to grab a, a playoff spot come the end of the season. It's just it's a it's a strange record they've got, isn't it? They've got the best the best home record on the division, and then away from home they've only taken thirteen points in thirteen games. Um, and well, again, looking at their fixtures in terms of where they've got to travel, still um, coming up, they they they, they come to Stevenage um, on the third of February. Uh, they've also got to go to, to Peterborough. Um, they have to go to Orient, Northampton. Um, they have to go to Derby, so they've not got you know in terms of turning that away away form round, um, they've not got an easy run of, run of games. Um, yeah, I, I think I think we'll, we'll obviously, like I said, know know a lot more about them um, in kind of six weeks' time, and, and I think at that, at that point it'll be very clear whether they are in there or not. Derby have also, <laughs> apart from Portsmouth, uh, Blackpool have, have also played twenty eight, which is the most out of any side in, in the top nine. So. Sort of the, the other sides above them could, you know, uh, could extend the gap if you like. So the the, the results could fall against Blackpool in that the 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 gaps to, to playoffs widen, but results could go in in the favour. But Blackpool have got the points on board, uh, and it's up to up to the results uh, of the teams around them to I guess help determine, determine their spot. 
you know, I think we'd always rather have points on the board than games in hand as uh, as well, because you never know what ha- actually happens. You could have six or seven injuries going into your into your games in hands. And uh, just on Bristol Rovers, they are currently sit twenty third in clean sheets with only three so far this season. So it, I think it's quite clear where they need to either strengthen in January or um, look maybe build for the summer because there's no way they're going to go down. They're on sitting on thirty four points from twenty six games. Um, there was some rumours at the start of the window about Chris Martin leaving. They seem to have gone very very quiet. So for Bristol, I would say that that's quite good. And they've obviously still got the, I personally think, one of the best players in the league in um, Aaron Collins as well. They had that weird they, run. They had a good, a good run, didn't they, earlier under Taylor, where they, you know, where they beat, yeah. I think they beat Bolton, Portsmouth and Charlton. Um, and then, well, it's only the last couple of games where obviously you beat them, Seb, and then they've lost, to, to, lost here. Um, that's really kind of derailed talk of that them being dark horses and enjoying that pack. Yeah, I yeah. think, I think, but clubs like Bristol Rovers, are not, I don't mean that in a horrible term, but, but I think a good season is solidified with a manager like Matt Taylor because he's an excellent manager. Um, let him build, get his own players in in the summer and then maybe look at the top six next year because I think League One's going to be a really difficult league next year and I have a feeling it's going to be really competitive if we take the top three teams from League Two that are going to come up. So let's take Stockport, Wrexham, I think it's Mansfield, the other one, and let's say Rotherham, QPR... And I'm going to say Huddersfield come down because I, I personally think Sheffield Wednesday would stay up. Um, that, and let's say we get rid of Peterborough, Derby, and Bolton, you've got a really competitive top ten, I'd say, because the three teams coming up will invest, the three teams coming down will have League One capabilities, and then you could throw in your Pompeys, your Barnsleys, your Blackpools. I'll put Stevenage in there if they keep Steve Evans, Charlton, uh, potentially us. Wigan because they won't have their points deduction. Um, so League One could be a really, really good league to watch next season uh, from a neutral's point of view, anyway. Um, Sam, I've still got player ambitions, mate. We haven't got to start talking about next season yet. <laughs> uh, I'm glad two of your teams have playoff ambitions. I'm quite happy in mid table for this season. <laughs> Our players don't then get the media spotlight of playoffs and stuff like that. I'm quite happy with that. Just leave everyone, just leave El Mazzuni and Dan Adji alone, and I'll, I'll be happy. Just, just, just a final thing on Bristol Rovers. I, I, I spoke last week, uh, and, and I mentioned again how impressive they were when, uh, although we beat them, they, they did play. There were some periods of play where they were absolutely great in terms of their attacking intent, the forward play, uh, the sort of inverted wing backs with with Vale and Thomas either side. So um, certainly one to watch, and, and and I was quite surprised given, um, you know, the previous uh, matches against Bristol Rovers how they came with this sort of different. A set up and, and different mentality, much more attacking than than what we used to play against Bristol Rovers. Um, and I think, apart from uh, as I always said, apart from the, the last couple of, of results, including against us, it, it's proved them in good stead and and, and got them uh, some pretty decent results along the way. Yeah, so we're now going to go to a, a quick ad break, and after the break, we'll be continuing our roundup of League One, and we'll be talking about uh, late postponements of games and looking at the transfer window. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. 
And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Okay, and welcome back to the Skybet Lee One podcast. Um, so the next game we are going to cover will be uh, from Seb. It will be Fleetwood versus Portsmouth. Portsmouth back to winning ways after a couple of defeats in a row. But for Fleetwood, are they completely doomed? Yes. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Yeah, I, I, well, I'll I just chat about this one quickly. Uh, Portsmouth uh, had lost the last two games coming into this one. So uh, looked to be on, on a bad uh, run of form, uh, all, all things considered. Uh Currently sit top of the uh, table in, in, in League One. Uh, it was uh, Abu Kamara's goal, the difference between the two sides in the first half. Uh, Marlon Pack with a clever through ball um, and Kamara sort of uh, dazzled past uh, a couple of Fleetwood defenders and a nice clever finish from just outside the penalty area. In fairness, Fleetwood did have a couple of chances. Uh, Wyadu Mayer had chances, but it's another defeat for Fleetwood and and as you said, a rooted to the bottom of the league one, just 18 points from 27 played, and it's not looking good for Charlie Adams' uh, side at all. Um, nine points off safety for me. I think they are. I think they are done, and I think they'll be a League Two side uh, come the new season. Yeah, there's also a talk. Obviously, they're going to lose Jack Marriott with his wages being one of the highest in actually the league. They said. Um, which I struggle, I struggle to believe, but I wouldn't be surprised at the same time. Um, so if they if they lose him, they really are screwed. They've also got the worst home record in the uh, in terms of losses in the league with ten, which is four more than any other team in League One. And if you're going to stay up, your home form's always got to be good. And to be honest, that's pretty shit. To be honest, um, yeah. So two sides at opposite ends of the spectrum. Obviously, uh, Portsmouth got the win and, and, and saw them go, go top. Just one point ahead of Peterborough in second, and and, and as for for Fleetwood, yeah, at, at the bottom of the table, and looks to be uh, looks to be that they'll look to to remain there. I think until the until May at the end of the season. I like from the perspective of Portsmouth. I'm not sure this is pulling many wool over people's eyes in terms of kind of what's happening there at the moment. It's obviously a much needed win for them, but far from convincing against the worst side in the league. I looked at this earlier. If all teams were to win their games in hand, which obviously won't happen, but if it were, you know, if we, if we assume that the good teams win games in hand, um, the table would look like this. Bolton would be top on 60, Peterborough second on 58, then Derby on 56 on goal difference, and Portsmouth would be down to fourth. And the form they're in, I think I, think I said last week, they've got a really nice one of fixtures now where they could turn it round. But... I would have expected a slightly better performance here. Um, I think they lost the XG battle um, in the second half. They were under the, you know, as far as far as stats wise, relatively under the cosh. Um, yeah, kind of kind of help, holding on for a win at Fleetwood wouldn't be kind of what I would be expecting a Peterborough or a Bolton or a Derby if they were to travel to Fleetwood tomorrow um, to be doing the same. I've got I've got a question for both of you on on terms of in terms of the promotion race in terms of um, who do you think's under the most pressure to get out of this league this season in terms because we've got some big clubs up there who are expecting promotion but which one do you think is under the most pressure? So we'll start with Seb. Um, 
That's a great question, Sam. Yeah, uh, I think all the clubs uh, sort of in in the promotion push are under pressure in different ways. Uh, I'd say I, I go with Portsmouth. I'll go with Portsmouth. Yeah, I just think that uh, being top in, in the top two more or less all season as as we've gone along to then sort of uh, drop out of it would would be significant. Um, so they're they're under the most pressure, I think, to to finish in in that top two come the end of the season. Uh, but there's a little shout out to to Peterborough, I guess, uh, with getting so close last season. Barnes as well getting so close last season in terms of the player for it. There there always is that that pressure or losing in a semi-final or even losing in the final to then come back the next season. Um, both clubs have, have gone through sort of a period of, of changeover, I guess, over the summer. Peterborough losing Clark Harris, their, their main man last season, Barnsley, um, losing their manager. So uh, bringing in Neil Collins with a different sort of playing style. So the pressure for them is, is slightly different. The expectation is slightly different. But my, yeah, my, my club with the most pressure would be Portsmouth, who currently sit top. I think for me, I, I, I think what you just said there about Barnsley and Peterborough for me almost makes it a free hit for them. I think if, 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 Peter, if Peterborough get up with this, the squad they've got in terms of youth, I don't think their fans were expecting to be automatic promotion hopefuls this season. So I, I think for them, I think they're kind of the, the lack of pressure from there, I think is telling. Obviously, it will mount as they win more and more games. Um, Again, Barnsley, I think when, before Duff went, I think most people looked at the league and thought, well, if he stays there, then having lost in the player final, you'd be one of the favourites for the league. But when he did go, again, I think people accepted there's going to be some rebuilding there. So for me, um, I think, I think I'd think i agree with you on Portsmouth just on the fact they've been in the league for so long um, and they're obviously desperate to, to get back up to the level they've been at. Um, I think Derby are under a lot of pressure, if I'm honest. I think they spent a lot of money. Um, there's, I think there's a lot of players players there that will be on on, on big wages. Um, you know, your likes of Conor Hurahan, etc., are not gonna are not gonna be playing in League One next season. Um, so I think if you are a Derby, and bearing in mind there's been obviously financial issues in there, you know, in their not too distant history, um, it, the the pressure there for me would be that if you, you you've got a squad that if you don't get up, becomes unsustainable to then keep. And you then in a bit, end up in a bit of limbo, don't you? Whereby you've got yeah. you know, wait, wages you can't pay, so players you've got to sell. And you know, what does it then look like for next season? Just, 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 just yeah, sorry, just, just on that, Ollie, as well. Um, Portsmouth, even though they have probably been in uh, League One the, the longest, let's say, out, out of the top six, they haven't actually performed that well over the past couple of years. You know, they've sort of maybe just edged it in the playoffs or, or, or either way, just edged out of the playoffs, if you like. They haven't been up there or thereabouts this season is sort of the first season in, in quite a few years where they have been in, in amongst that, that top two, even the, the top six and, and consistently in, in that position. So for them, it, it would be massive if, if they dropped from, from the position they're currently in. Yeah, your point on us, Peterborough as well being kind of a free hit is really good as well because their average age is the youngest in League One at 23.6. So... I think, and I think if they don't go up, obviously people, every championship club is probably looking at people like Poku, Mason Clark. So if they didn't go up, we know what Dar- uh, Darren McCanson is like. He will make sure he gets a bloody good deal for them. And that is reinvested properly. Um, so they're, pro- they're a very, very, very sensibly run football club, I think, Peterborough. Um, and I do agree with you on Portsmouth probably being the most under pressure. Um, I'd also say Bolton on that as well, just covering because... The, the size of their obviously the fan base um, people you've got players like Dion Charles 
Um, I just think when you're getting 20 and 20 and a half thousand every week, that pressure is always going to, there was always going to be eyes looking upon you considering you were in the Europa League. I think it was 13, 14 years ago with players like JJ Okocha. Um Proper old old school footballers back there, back then. Ivan hey, Evan Campo days, those. Yeah, I'll never forget the thing about Ivan Campo. I, I think it was, was it Don, not Don Ball. I can't remember, it was Ball against Manchester City on Premier League years where Ball has just come careering into the side of Ivan Campo in a game versus Portsmouth. <laughs> That's all I remember from Premier League years, really. Um, so the next game will is uh, we'll, I'll, I will cover will be Lincoln versus Derby. Um, so there were uh, they signed Lincoln City signed a player called um, I think it was Joe Taylor from Luton on loan after he got recalled from uh, Colchester United after scoring I think it was sixteen goals in the first half of the season, and with Lincoln's goals obviously drying up with the injuries to Ben House, Tyler Walker. Um, it was a much needed acquisition and the recall of obviously Freddie Draper. So they're hoping they can build some sort of partnership. Um, I've watched the highlights of this game. If you just predominantly look at the stats, Derby had the better of the play. Watching the and stats can only tell you half a picture. Watching the highlights, Taylor could have had five, being brutally honest. He missed, I think it was two one on ones, had a header from about 11 yards where he beat, beat his marker. Um, he had a couple of shots in the edge of the box that were well saved by, by the goalkeeper. Derby had one shot with Mendes Lang inside the box, which he, he, he sliced wide, and James Collins had a turn inside the box. But other than that, I, mean, I struggled to see how Derby accumulated more XG, um, a lot more of their shots from outside the box. Um, so it was a really, really impressive performance from Lincoln, um, albeit they didn't score. But I think there's a lot of positive performances from a link perspective, especially going forward. And I always say, if you're creating chances, eventually you will score goals. I will always worry more about a team if they're not creating chances for their forwards, because the goals will eventually come. One will go in off somebody's arse or something, and then the striker will eventually start scoring. Um, obviously, I know Lincoln are really, really out of form with no win in um, eight. And they're sitting, they're still sitting in a pretty healthy place in 11th, considering all their injuries. Um Derby, you probably look at it as two points dropped with the form they've been in. But again, they're, they're in a really, really healthy position, just three points off the top. And then they win their game in hand. And, and even if Peterborough win their game in hand, they go into the automatic promotion places. Um, we know Paul Warren's a specialist of getting out of League One, especially in second half of the season. Um, as Ollie mentioned earlier, they've signed Corey Blackett-Taylor today, which won't do them no harm going forward and creating even more chances for people like James Collins. Um, been linked with Michael Smith from Sheffield Wednesday. I think he's like six foot eight centre forward, something like that. So you get down the wing with people like Blackett Taylor, Mendes Lang, Tom Barkhusen, get crosses into the box. He is he's going to score a hatful as well. So it's going to be a really really interesting uh, end to the season if you're a, a Derby fan. I would suspect. Yeah, they've, got a, well, they've, got good, they've, they've, they've kind of got a squad that they're that in, and, and especially adding your Blackett Taylor, if I get a Michael Smith. You look at their squad and you look at kind of their first eleven, and they if they do get out of this league, then you'd be con- relatively confident that they're good enough to to kind of stay up in the championship, which is not something you always say about t- sides coming out of League One, is it? But they because they've kept players that I mean we know have done it at higher levels before. I know I mentioned a minute ago the, the kind of risk behind that if they don't go up in the pressure with it, but actually, I mean I, I, I do think they'll strengthen more in this January and properly go for it. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think if they go up, they're, they're well placed to do well. And, and, and as for Lincoln as well, we spoke last week about Joe Taylor 
uh, signing from from Luton and, and uh, the impact he had on on Luton last season in the Championship and how how much of a coup it was uh, for Lincoln to, to be able to get him on loan and I think it is showing. Uh, although all these chances he, he he missed, he's showing already in, in his first game that that the quality and sort of uh, the the type of player that that he'll bring to to Lincoln and um, yeah, like I say, yeah, he missed all these chances, but he's got to score at some point, and it, it shows that, that from his first game that that Lincoln have got a great player on the hands. Hundred percent. And on the other end of the spectrum, uh, Peterborough had the youngest squad average age in the league. Derby County actually have the oldest. It's twenty eight point nine years old um, on average. Do we think that will probably help them in the playoff run with the experience? Or do you think having a young, exuberant squad going out there, pl- just playing football is so better in these said, situations? So much just said in the playoffs, isn't it, about, you know, that it is a lottery and that it comes down to, you know, the best teams don't win it. Um, you know, psychology's got to play a huge part in that, right? You know, we saw what happened to Peterborough last year um, with a relatively young side. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would think that that, that experience probably gives them an extra edge on some of the other sides in that. And in fact, probably over, over a Portsmouth, um, you know, who, who, whose squad isn't as packed out with, with kind of standout names that you would say have been there and done it. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it's, it can only be a good thing for them. Yeah, I, I agree as well. Uh, I think you just, you just look through the entirety of, of Derby squad and there's just experience from, from across the EFL, you know, uh, Chris, Craig Forsyth at the back, Sonny Bradley at the back as well, Conor Harahan in midfield, uh, Waghorn up top. Uh, he just he's sort of embedded throughout the team. Mendes live on, on the wing. These are all experienced players that um, have, if, if they've not been in the playoffs, they've been involved in sort of promotion uh, challenges at other clubs. So they know what it takes to win and, and that would certainly help Derby um, come the end of the season if, if they do manage to clear the playoff spot. Um, so the only other two games in uh, League One were Exeter versus Cambridge. That uh, game, unsurprisingly, finished 0-0, two of the lowest scorers in the league. Um, uh, it's only two wins since September still for Exeter City. Um, and their top scorer, Ryan Trebitt, uh, who's got three this season, has gone back from his loan as well, because I believe he had a season in injury. Um, Cambridge, uh, they're pretty safe in mid-table. Um, Neil Harris, he knows what he's doing. Uh, he's an experience, experienced manager. He will... He's as proven at Gillingham, doesn't score goals, doesn't concede goals. And if they go at a point per game till the end of the season, Cambridge will be absolutely fine. And they've obviously signed Lyle Taylor in this window, who has a a very, very strong track record of putting the ball in the back of the net. Um, The only other game in League One was uh, Wigan versus Reading. Wigan came out on top um, in this game from uh, Teo Asgard with a really, really nicely worked goal. There's a couple of flicks out wide and he has pinged it from the inside left position, from like, sort of like the edge of the box into the top corner. Um, but I, I've watched the highlights from this game and Reading were extremely unfortunate not to actually win the game. They created a number of big chances. They had four big chances in total and missed all four of them. And they've had sort of a little mini revival recently with unbeaten in four um, coming into this game. Obviously, we've still got that um, impending takeover. But there was an interview with, um, I think it's Mark Bowen there, I don't know what, like director of football operations or something like that at the club. Um, and he came out and said that Dai Young is closer to selling the club than he is keeping it at the moment, which uh, for all Reading fans' sake, we hope happens uh, sooner rather than rather than later. Um, so we're, uh, we're going to quickly talk about how 
Stevenage versus Barnsley to both of your teams game was cancelled. I believe it was 1 p.m., leaving just two just two hours before kickoff. And do we think it's unfair on fans that they leave games this late to be called off, or do we think it's fair that games are given as long as possible to be put on? Um, so we'll start with Ollie on this one. I don't really like the answer is here. I mean, like people seem quite intent on blaming clubs when it's at the discretion of match officials, which I find balmy. Um, like, obviously, as football fans, we want to be prioritised and we want, you know, everyone to care about the travels we've got to make and the money that gets spent, et cetera, et cetera. But obviously, the AFL's priority is going to be having the games on. So, I, like, I, I understand the thought process of a, of a fan being pissed off at, at travelling and at being in, in Stevenage at one o'clock and it gets called off. Um, but I mean, like, I, I don't really know what we kind of want. Like, you know, it, do, do the EFL need a ruling on it for, for games where fans have got to travel a certain distance? If they do and games get called off early unnecessarily, are fans not going to be equally pissed off? Like, I just don't really know kind of what the... Like, I, I, I get that it's, that it's frustrating. I'm sure if it was the shoe was on the other foot and I travelled, I'd, I'd be sat here thinking the same. But yeah, I'm, 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 not, I'm not sure what the answer is. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't part of the, the, the travelling away fans, but I had a couple of sort of friends and, and family members who, who've travelled more or less got there and then I had to turn straight back as, as soon as I found out. I think it was about one fifteen, one twenty after the, the, the inspection at 1. For me, I just think, uh, yeah, the need, as I always sort of mentioned, there needs to be some sort of uh, rules or, or something to be brought in to protect uh, travelling, well, mainly travelling away fans. You know, for, for this Stevens Bounds game, there was a pitch inspection called at 11. Most fans had already set off by then. If they hadn't, they were sort of waiting. But the pitch inspection at 11 was sort of inconclusive. So the referee decided to hold another inspection at 1pm. By that point, you know, uh, the various people in the press started arriving, the stewards were arriving to, to work a, a match day shift, you know, the, the cafes were opening and whatnot, ready for fans coming, but the fans didn't know themselves if the game was going to go ahead. A lot of the Barnes fans were, were in Stevenage, or if not very close to arriving at Stevenage, and there was called off an hour and 45. So... I'm not blaming Stevenage at all. I just think with with the sort of weather conditions that uh, we've seen up and down the country across the past couple of days, uh, with the sort of uh, the pitch, the referee should have should have had a look at the pitch on Friday night. And at Friday night, maybe not made a a, a decision, but he should be there should be some sort of evidence. Uh, we we spoke to. Uh, our producer Hannah, who was a Stockport fan, they went to play Notts County. Notts County, uh, the the referee came on Friday night and judged on Friday night that the, the pitch wasn't playable. A similar thing should have been done at Stevenage. The referee or another referee, if, if he's come travelling from the other side of the world, a, a local referee has got to come to, and inspect the pitch. And then if he doesn't, then he's got to make a call early the next day. You know, there's only so much progress that can be made. Uh, it was between uh, 11 and 1. There's only two hours. You know, it's not that sunny. It was cold anyway. So I I'm not sure how confident the referee was that the match was going to go ahead in the first place. But there's got to be some sort of rule that, that does protect travelling away fans because people are booking off holidays, booking holidays off work, you know, uh, spending money on, on travel. 
uh, buying ma- match tickets, and so it's cost adding up, and, it, and it's come to nothing in the end. So, um, yeah, so, something has got to be done. What exactly? I'm I'm not quite sure, but uh, I've got a lot of sort of frustrated and and, and angry Barnsley fans um, that end up with with an afternoon Stevenage and and, and Ollie. They told What's me that. that? <laughs> oh well, they told me that there wasn't that much to do in Stevenage, so it, it wasn't that oh, much of, of an exciting afternoon. But it's not just Barnsley. Uh, Barnsley had it similar with, with Exeter last year, where it was just called off with about two hours' notice, and uh, most of the fans. Fans again we're, we're we're either there or very near to to Exeter, so it's just been annoying that we've been on the end of it twice in in a year. Um, but there has got to be some sort of ruling that that does protect away fans. Uh, you know, this time of year we know there's not going to be any sun, so we know that that the pitch hasn't got the sun on its side. The weather's going to be bad, and a decision has been made early um, to to protect uh, the the fans and and fans travelling. I do I, I do think it's it. It's a relatively it's a relatively rare situation, right? You know, most of the time it's an obvious call whether a pitch is frozen or not. I think in this situation, I think something like seventy five percent of the pitch had thawed out by eleven, and there was a pit that hadn't done, and they kind of wanted to give it that chance. Obviously, it hadn't done by like, you know. I think, but, but that, yeah, I, I get that, but at that point, you just you just make the decision based on the seventy five percent because in in two hours, I. I I'm not. I'm not a pitch expert. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm just not quite sure how much movement there would have been. You know how much thawing there would have been on that end of the pitch that hadn't quite um, had it. You know what I mean? That sort of hadn't quite thawed up. I'm not quite sure how much progress the referee was expecting in, in that two hours. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult one. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> some of the comments that have come out of Barnsley have been pretty funny. There's been comment, comments that we, apparently, we should, we should at this level, we should have under soil heating. Barnsley think they're the Premier League, but, um, and then there's, you know, oh, we, we, Stephen has deliberately got the game called off because he's got some players out with COVID. COVID like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> gee, like, come can, on. Can, like, can, like, can the referee makes deny? vision. Can you confirm about like, denial, well, I, I don't know anything about COVID, but I can tell you that I can tell you for free that referee is not doing a Steve Evans side anybody favour. So <laughs> the, the Steve Evans stare was back at the referee when when he walked out. Like you do not put this game on. Um, I think Mansfield did it really well. They um, went out with their media person with the uh, referee, and they had like a pitchfork to show literally the pitch was frozen. So maybe a bit more clarity with fans to show right this bit of the pitch we can play, but there's this area of the pitch, and they try and just. A bit more clarity and openness with fans possibly might make them see that oh they this bit of the pitch yeah we, we can't play on that that is that is a bit too risky. Um, so we're going to the final part of of this podcast. Um, in terms of the transfer window, obviously we're heading into now the final week roughly. Who is the club that still needs to do the most business? I'm pretty sure it's obvious with some of the teams' league position, but who do we think needs to do the most business? I am a bit surprised that Portsmouth haven't done more. I think they've got they've built a really good foundation for a potentially kind of oh, a, a hugely momentous promotion, and they've been caught up by some sides that are in incredibly good form. And I think I want to say they've only signed a keeper. Um, and I just I, yeah, a, a bit surprised they've not done a bit more. Yeah, they've yeah. just signed uh, just signed a number ten, I think, today. Uh, yeah, Miles Pearl Hartley, oh, Pearl something Harry. like that. Yeah, yeah that one. Yeah, yeah was, he comes from Forest Green on board last season. Yeah, yeah, some of the best um, in terms of non-penalty assists and dribble, successful dribbles 
in terms of the league average from last season. So he does look quite an exciting player. Um, okay. Probably what they need as well, a bit of directness. Um, and you've got a striker like Colby Bishop, who's type of the poacher, the poacher he is. Anyone that can dribble at a fullback is going to be pretty useful to them. Yeah, I mean, like, at the other end, I think the other team that would stand out for me is I'd be surprised if they weren't sort of uh, furiously trying to close deals would be, um, I'd be really surprised if Daryl Clark's not got his eyes on signings for Cheltenham. I think, again, having gone in with the, the mess that he had, done what he's done with the squad there, and then, like, I, I don't think Cheltenham are flush, flush with cash, but there must, you know, there must be deals to be done there in, ter- in terms of loanees or in terms of players mm-hmm. that don't have contracts. And yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd be surprised if they're not looking at this thinking, hang on a second, we've got a real good chance of staying up here. Yes, I know they sent eight, seven of their eight loanees back, I think it was, and today they signed Josh Harrop, who hasn't exactly got the best type of injury record. I know he's probably been on trial for a couple of weeks, but when you're re- now relying on a player, because I think on his day, he's a really, really technically gifted footballer. But when you've got them types of players who can play two games and then miss two games, when you're going into this sort of run, you're going to need a player that is fit 99 times out of 100. Um, Seb, any any other teams that you think need to do some business? Um, I'd agree with Ollie in terms of Cheltenham uh, and the sort of project that um, that Darren Clark is building. Uh, I think he he wants well he, he does he wants to get out of that relegation zone. Uh, he wants he wants to stay clear that they're only four uh, they're only four points off it at the moment and sort of bringing in a couple of. Uh, Signings, I'm, I'm sure, will help them sort of just just move out of it because um, they they have massively picked up since since Clark took over. So he'll just want to sort of solidify that and and make it prove in terms of the the, the league table position that that they are better uh, uh, under his uh, managerial sort of uh, yeah under his under his management. Uh, what I would say as well, um, maybe Blackpool. Uh, in terms of making a, a couple of extra, uh, perhaps not first teamers, but perhaps squad players, just to help uh, push them, you know, build build that extra squad depth and to help push them for, uh, um, well, ultimately they'll want to play a spot. So you know, just just that quality um, in in depth, you know, when when the schedule and the fixtures start to get uh, quite congested, um, just uh, a couple of uh, well, a couple of extra quality players off the bench wouldn't do any harm. Yeah, they were on, Blackpool were on my list because they're well. I think you said earlier, you know, they're four four points off the playoffs. But if Oxford and Stevenage win their, win their games in hand, then again, all this and buts. But it's, that suddenly becomes ten points. And actually, you know, they, they, I think they they then come. I think they've got two games until they come to Stevenage. Feasibly, they could lose there and be suddenly cut adrift. And and, and you know, okay, I know it's going to take long to close those gaps. You know, in four or five games, but. You know, do you invest now um, and try and kind of back up that squad and, and try and join that in, in making it eight teams fighting for six spots, or do you kind of sit, settle and see how it goes? They could probably do with. Uh, um, I know they've got that they've got Jordan Rhodes up top, but it's a heavy reliance on on Rhodes. Mm. I, I know in, in the past couple of games, games I've played with, with Joseph up top, but there is a massive uh, reliance on on Rhodes. Should he pick up an injury or he's just the amount of games, he might not be fit to start one game. So perhaps another striker to, to be that sort of second fiddle to, to Jordan Rhodes. Yeah, I was going to add that. Jordan Rhodes obviously has 14 goals this season and their next highest, I think, is Shane Lavery with with four. So there is obviously that reliance on Jordan Rhodes. And if he got a 
a hamstring injury, for example, going into like an e- the Easter position where you've got six or seven games, it's it's going to affect them uh, massively. So that about wraps it up for this week's League One podcast. Um, if you if you have enjoyed, please make sure you give us a five star rating on your selected podcast platforms. And for myself, Seb and Ollie, we hope you have a good rest of the weekend. Hopefully, see you next week. <laughs>